stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face. Hello. Welcome to an abbreviated, little shorter, little different, damn good podcast than normal. Over there is not Jeff Schultz or Renny Curran. Um, Jeff's a little under the weather this week, and we're just giving him a break. I recorded a segment with Andy Staples. We talked for about 20 minutes about Georgia's offensive changes, and that was on Andy's wonderful show, which has an interesting abbreviation, which I didn't realize uh, that we talk about at the end of our segment. Um, But we're also putting it on this one for anybody who may not have heard it who doesn't listen to Andy's show. You should, but if you haven't, We'll put it on this one at the last half, probably the majority of this show. Um, or if you just thought it was so illuminating, mainly Andy's part, not mine, that you want to hear it again. So that's a little bit of a treat. Uh, in the first part of this, it's just going to be me talking. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through and answer a few mailbag questions that were submitted this week that I didn't get to in the mailbag itself that is online Thursday morning. You should read it. I led with a interesting question I got about continuity on Georgia's coaching staff. Um, the, the background on the mailbag, by the way, is that I, I want to interact with you. I want to I want to answer your questions. But number one, I can't answer all the questions every week. So I only answer a few. And a lot of times, honestly, I just pick out the ones that give me a chance to you know, offer up some views that I've kind of been holding in and haven't had a chance to elucidate, to use a big boy word. So this week I'm going to do it a little bit different with the podcast and answer some of the questions that were submitted that I didn't get to. They were, they're always very good questions. I just can't get to all of them. But I'll try and do it kind of lightning roundish, unless I go on my own tangents, which without Jeff here, good chance I will not go on a tangent. So Let's start. Um, I'm going through here and I'm going to pick through. And the wonderful thing for all of you is this a little bit is going to be stream of consciousness. I have not done much planning. I'm planning. I'm actually in the process of writing a big story for Sunday, which I hope you will read. I'm I'm just going to tease that out, a story I've been working hard on for Sunday um, and talking to a few people for. So I'm just jumping on here and we're going to do this a little bit stream of consciousness. We'll start out with a question from Alex K., who says, given the coordinator and coaching turnover lately, who do you see as the most likely candidates to be plucked away next? I'm assuming it starts with Dan Lanning at number one. Slightly relates to the first question that I took in the mailbag that appeared on the actual athletic site. But yes, Alex, you are correct. Dan Lanning would probably be candidate number one to be plucked away, perhaps for a head coaching job. Florida State tried to Hire him away this offseason. Mike Norvell, who was his boss at Memphis, got the Florida State job and, from all appearances, discussed it with Lanning. But Lanning is still here at Georgia. I anticipate he is going to be earning a lot more money than he did this past year. And I'm trying to remember exactly what his salary was. He earned $750,000. I think he might be in the seven-figure deal by the time this is done. At least I'd be surprised if it's not more than 900,000. Um, just throwing a, mon- a figure out there. Todd Munkin's 1.1. But yes, Dan Lanning, look, you have success with assistants. They're not going to be here forever. There were a lot of people who said, Sam Pittman loves Georgia. He's never going to leave Georgia. That was true. But then he got the Arkansas job. So you, you 
have success, you're going to lose assistance. It's just it's something that happens. Clemson is the exception, as I wrote today. Um, Del McGee, Georgia's probably lucky they've been able to hold on to him for as long as they have. He's he's a running backs coach. He's got a title. I think it's associate head coach, associate head coach or assistant head coach. He's got one of those titles. Kirby Smart has said that McGee is actually the one in charge at the Georgia football building when Kirby's not there, which is a lot because he recruits a lot. Um, Del McGee is an important part of the staff, and he has been all four years and will be going into the fifth year. But, look, at some point someone's going to give him an offer to leave that he's going to have to take, whether it's a head coaching job somewhere, coordinator job, he's going to leave at some point. Um, And who else would be a candidate to leave? Glenn Schumann might be sitting there waiting in the wings, and he's young enough that I think he can wait, waiting to be the defensive coordinator if and when Lanning eventually leaves in the next few years. So those are the names that jump out at me real quick. Um, let's see, uh, here, here's the next questions from Tyler H general sentiment says that Todd Munkin won't be here long. If he's successful, given this and the loss of some stud recruiters, I'm curious what you think about Kirby's mindset. Is it a true philosophy change that's going to dictate the look of the offensive staff moving forward? Or is it, is this an attempt to maximize the current roster and push for a title without necessarily being the new normal for Georgia's offense? Yes, 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 and I don't know, uh, basically. Um, look, Todd Munkin, if he's successful at Georgia in year one, decent chance he's not there for year two. He could get a head coaching job. He was successful at Southern Miss. Don't look at the overall record. Look at the trajectory. He took over a winless program at Southern Miss, and they won nine games his third year, and then he got the Tampa Bay job. Um, he could get an NFL coordinator job. Uh, but I, everything I've heard about him is that he does like recruiting and he's a good recruiter. So he's not someone who's going to be desperate to get back into the NFL game. Um, and Athens is, is a cool place. People like living here. Jim, Jim Donnan still lives here. Uh, Ray Goff still lives here. Uh, Mark Richt would have still lived here, but he got the Miami job and I lives in Destin, which can't blame that. So, uh, it, you can hold on to a Todd Munkin or someone like that for a little while extra because Athens is a nice place to raise your family and live. But is this a philosophy change? It's hard to say because we haven't had a chance to talk to Kirby. We won't have a chance to talk to Munkin until August, I presume. Um, and, and I'm not sure Kirby's going to sit there and empty his brain at a press conference and, and empty his thoughts on it. Um, I, I think what's important is that he showed he wanted – to make a change. He showed that something was wrong in 2019. Todd Munkin won't come here and listen to the segment I did with Andy after this for a little bit further thoughts on this, but Todd Munkin wasn't coming here to run the air raid. That's, that's not him, but he's also not coming here to do man ball. He's going to do what works and they're going to look at their talent this year and they're going to try and, uh, you know what James Coley talked about was players, not plays, and and cater to the talent they had. The problem was they catered it to what they thought was a great offensive line, physical offensive line, and great running backs, and away from the passing game because they had so much inexperience at wide receiver and tight end. Um, but it, it ended up that the offensive line wasn't as great run blocking as they thought it would be, and DeAndre Swift was a little bit banged up at times, and it. it ended up that they probably should have gone the other way. They probably should have said, we need to focus on the pass in order to make it better. 
and the running game is great to fall back on. If, if the running game is going to be there anyway, then pass to set up the run may have been the, the better way to go. I think James Coley wanted to go that direction with Georgia's offense in 2020. He won't be given that chance now, but I think Todd Munkin will, will come in and, and will probably do that. Next question. We'll try to do this a little bit quicker than I, than I promised. Nathan O. Hey, Seth, what's the word on Cortez Hankton in terms of player development? Cortez Hankton, the receivers coach. We bemoaned our lack of playmakers at the wide receiver position all year, but it's not like we were totally devoid of talent. That's true. I've not heard this reflected much on Hankton, though, so curious what you've heard from those in the know. Um, I've always heard good stuff about Hankton as as a coach, as a teacher, the proof is always in the pudding, as they say. And, and yeah, you, you can look at these receivers this year and say, how much did they develop? How much has Demetrius Robertson developed over his couple of years here? Did the fact that they had to rely on a Lawrence Cager parachuted in over the summer to be their leading receiver and a George Pickens who's a freshman, you know, but maybe Hankton helped uh, Pickens, for instance, in the short time he had him. And Dominic Blaylock was very good. Uh, is it more coaching and developing on these guys or is it more kind of recruiting that they haven't, uh, you know, Matt Landers is the fact that he still has some, some errors in his game. Although he did finish well with the touchdown catch in the sugar bowl. Does that reflect on not developing well enough or is that just kind of who he is? Uh, same with some other guys where there were some recruiting misses, I still go back also to the guys that they lost. I mean, J.J. Holloman was such a big loss, and you could end up seeing that as the most critical event in Georgia's season, in Georgia's year, 2019. And J.J. Holloman was a guy who was developing pretty well. And when they lost all those guys, when they lost Holloman, when they lost Hardman to the draft, when they lost Ridley to the draft, it it has such a domino effect. Without Holloman there, then – Pickens and Cager have to take a bigger role. Uh, Simmons has to take a bigger role. Again, a domino effect that just wasn't ideal. They, I, I think what they're helped by this year is they go into it with a – they know what they're going into with more open eyes about the deficiencies they had at receiver last year, um, whereas maybe last year they were a little bit complacent, a little bit overconfident about – what they had and sometimes a a down year is a good way to kind of jolt people to reality let's see uh duncan i answered your question james i answered your question in the mailbag chris p asked what kind of changes do you expect offensively from munkin based on the things you have heard also munkin throughout career has obviously been more favorable to favorable to pass game do you think kirby would let any oc get go far away from the run game and running back tradition at uga um, we're going to be doing a lot of stories, Chris. We already have, and we're going to be doing a lot over this next seven months about what's going on with the passing game and um, Kirby's role in it and what Munkin is going to do. I, I'm doing a story about Munkin that's going to run Sunday. Uh, the, the ultimate question, though, Chris, you're asking is, is will Kirby let Todd Munkin be Todd Munkin? I don't think Todd Munkin would be coming here if he didn't feel like he would have the freedom to do what he did. And, like I talked with Andy in my segment with him, I think Munkin coming from the outside and having other opportunities and Kirby kind of having to you know, make sure he did enough to entice him to come here, that probably gave Munkin some leverage that a James Coley last year this time didn't have when he got promoted into the job. So does that mean that 
Todd Munkin comes in and they're, they're slinging it around all over the place. No, I mean, I, you look back at his history, he had Joseph Randall at Oklahoma State, and he ran for more than 1,000 yards. When he was at Southern Miss, he had two 1,000-yard rushers one year in 2015, but his quarterback also threw for 4,000 yards. Um, I think they're going to be looking for whatever happens to to score points and move the ball. But the mantra is going to be explosive plays, and that is something Todd Munkin's his offensive always been really good at, and I do think they're going to be more opened up. And I, you're going to hear explosive plays, as one reader accurately pointed out, the same way you heard about havoc on defense last year. Havoc was the word 2019, 2020. It's going to be explosive plays. Um, I'm just going to do a couple more because as I'm scrolling down here, I realize that I can't do everybody. So I apologize to everybody. But LPP asked, I've noticed a couple references that Luke prefers O-linemen to be more athletic as compared to Pittman's preference for pure, massive road graders. Is that a difference in philosophy real? If so, what does it mean for the O-line this year, particularly in the context of a Munkin offense? Um, I think you may have already seen that reflected a little bit in the lineup they put out in the Sugar Bowl with Warren Erickson getting the job at right guard. Uh, he's a little smaller. Um, they're going Jamari Sawyer at tackle, and he was a guy that you were you kind of was playing a little more guard uh, with the linemen that they had. Now, a lot of that was also they lost Isaiah Wilson and Andrew Thomas for the bowl. Now, but, yeah, it is real. I, he- I have heard that Luke will prefer more athletic people. Uh, we'll delve a little bit more into that when we get, I think, into the spring um, I don't want to jump too far ahead. And, hey, we can't answer all your questions now. I have to give you a reason to keep reading, especially when we get into spring practice. But I, I have heard that, uh, that yeah, they're going to be a little bit smaller but athletic on the O-line this year. But a lot of that's going to be out of necessity. Um, and then you play to your strengths. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, let me see if there's any... Oh, um, I might actually be able to get to most of the questions. I'll do this last one. Let's see. Joseph K. asked, As a result of Georgia's elevated recruiting under SMART, we're starting to see more of what we in the past we would have described as recruiting whiffs, high four- and five-star guys that don't produce much despite high expectations. I'm wondering if this is normal for the teams that recruit at this level or if people in the industry think it reflects more on coaching. Um then he asked about questions uh, or about substitutions. I'll answer this real quick, Joseph. Um, I think attrition level – I don't know that there's enough of a sample size for us to, to be able to say definitively. Kirby is only entering his fifth year. He's, you know, the 2016 recruiting class um, was kind of half Kirby, half Richt. 2017, 2018, 2019. The 2018 class, when you look at it, that was the number one ranked class, consensus number one ranked. It's had a lot of attrition. Um, and not a, I don't, honestly, when I look around, when I look through this sample size wise, I don't know that I see as many whiffs, Joseph, as I see guys that just left, uh, Justin Fields just transferred, um, Brenton Cox transferred, Cade Mace transferred weirdly. Um, have we seen, I, I have not seen enough guys that haven't quote unquote developed, I have seen guys like Eric Stokes and Jordan Davis turn out to be better than advertised as three stars. I think it's more retention than development. 
um, that you could say. Now let's let's maybe take another look in a year or two and see if some of these high four and five star guys, if they aren't developed. I mean, I, I know people look at someone like Notori Johnson and say, well, you know, he was a top one hundred guy. Did he not develop? Well, you know, it, he also was behind a lot of people on the O line. They recruited over him, so some of it is they just recruited so well that some guys don't play as much as you expect. So I, I think it's more retention at this point than it is development. Um, and, again, they, they balance a lot of these five stars that leave with some three stars and under-recruited like four stars like Monty Rice who are better than expected. I mean, let's, let's remember in the wide view, this program, this team was ranked number four in the AP poll, the final AP poll. They went 12-2. and two. They were number seven last year. They were number two the year before that. They've, they've done pretty well. Um, final question, Joseph K., you also asked it. The other question I have revolves around Kirby using so many substitutions. Does the team's use of defensive subs affect some players' rhythm and maybe lower stats and potential draft status? I don't think it affects their rhythm. The, the performance of the defense this year belies that idea. They did very well. Uh, they did a great job of fitting guys into the roles that they were best fit for. But maybe lower stats, stats and potential draft status, that I could potentially see, although Richard LeCount played enough and he still decided not to go pro. So some of it is just, you know, maybe these guys aren't automatic first-round picks yet. Richard LeCount, I've seen a projection he'll be a first-rounder next year, though. So, um, But like Monty Rice, Monty Rice was on the field a lot, so I don't think that got into it. Eric Stokes... You know, he, he kind of was rotating by the end of the year. Maybe you could say that, but they they performed pretty well uh, later in the year when they had Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes, and DJ Daniel substituting at, at cornerback and kind of a rotation. Um, you know, I, I and, and then, Joseph, you, you finished up by saying, I think I read someone mentioned that was why Adam Anderson briefly threw his name in the portal before being persuaded to remove it. It wasn't Adam Anderson. I think you're talking about Robert Beal. Um, both of them outside linebackers, though. Robert Beal didn't play much at all. Uh, Adam Anderson, who was this five-star, was in this DPR, as Kirby put it, designated pass rusher role, which gets into how much talent they have and how they're, they're trying to get their best players on the field somehow, and they're fitting them into roles. They did it pretty well on defense this year, and, and I do think it affects keeping people happy. That's why Otis Reese is leaving. That's why... Um, Robert Beal put his name in the portal, but now he's coming back apparently. It, that's going to happen, and that's going to happen when you recruit well and you recruit over people. Uh, they, what they've done well on defense is been able to rec- not only recruit well, but so far develop and, and find roles for these guys. Now, having said all that, back to the offense. I will now lead into my role, my segment with Andy Staples, which if you did not hear it on the Andy Staples show, which if you go with an abbreviation is a very interesting abbreviation, which we discuss at the end. Um, here it is, me talking with Andy about Georgia's offseason changes, out James Coley, out Jake Fromm, in Todd Munkin, in Jamie Newman, and others, and what it means for the program. Enjoy, everybody. I bring on Seth Emerson, our, our fantastic Georgia beat writer, and Seth, I'm going to ask the question that's on everybody's mind who listens to, listen to this podcast regularly. Are we on the verge of seeing what we like to call fun Georgia all the time? Is that what these offensive changes mean? All the time? As in every single game? 
I every single drive. I don't know, but I don't know about every drive, but every game, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put it this way: I thought that they were headed in that direction anyway. If they had kept James Coley in the play caller role, uh, they were they wanted to do that. They had shown that they wanted to do that against LSU, but the execution was bad, and they were playing from behind pretty much the whole time. Um, and they showed that against Baylor. But when they hired Todd Munkin, when Kirby hired Todd Munkin, he made a statement that, yeah, we need to get better and we need to we need to change this a little bit. Now, am I willing to 100% say that they're going to open up the offense and be fun Georgia all the time? I can't do that yet because you still look at Todd Munkin's history and, and he, there's enough there to say that, you know, he, he's not as much an air raid guy you know, he never really was an air raid guy in the Mike Leach mold. Um, it just kind of veered that way. Uh, I I do remember Jim Chaney, and he ran a good offense in Georgia for two years in 2017 and 18, not 16, his first year. But Jim Chaney was the same guy who did basketball and grass with Drew Brees and Purdue, and he evolved into something closer to Kirby. I just don't think there's enough time for Todd Munkin to have evolved closer to the man ball kind of thing. So, yeah, I think George is going to be more opened up and more fun on offense. My long-winded answer. Well, and, and that's the thing. that Munkin is not necessarily an air raid guy. It's not what he came up in. Uh, for those who don't know the history, so Dana Holgerson was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State for one year before he was given the the head coaching waiting job at West Virginia, but it was really the head coaching job. That was a whole mess that we don't need to get into. But Mike Gundy hires Todd Munkin and basically says, here you will run this offense that Dana ran last year that worked great with Brandon Whedon and, and Justin Blackman and all these really talented skill players. We want you to run that. And for two years, it was fantastic. But that's not his, his grounding in offensive philosophy. That's just what he picked up. And then he goes to the NFL, and, and let's be honest, I mean, the Bucks a couple years ago, 2018, they, they chucked it around quite a bit. Right. Yeah, I, I think it will depend on your version of what fun Georgia is. Will they pass it more? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but are they going to be you know, air raid all the time? No. Um, I think it'll be more of they'll – they, I, I would expect more passing. I would expect more up-tempo. Uh, that, the up-tempo part, I think, is something that, that – I never, Andy, got a really good answer from anybody last year on why they didn't do that more. There were always good answers on, well, why aren't you passing it more? Well, we don't feel good about our receivers. We're, we're better at running back. Um, why aren't you – why do you run it up the middle so much? Well, you've got to pound the defense, pound the defense so you can surprise them with the pass and, and wear them down, et cetera, et cetera. But with the tempo thing, you never got a good answer from anybody. I was like, well, why don't you go tempo more? Every time you go tempo, it works. And then they got away from it. So Munkin likes to do that, and I think they'll do that a lot more, and they will pass it more. It, but I don't think it'll be the chuck it around like Oklahoma State 2011-2012. Well, but even that was a, a fairly controlled passing game. They would go deep every once in a while, but they were good at high percentage passes that got you yards. And, yeah. and they there were a lot of eight, nine-yard gains there that if somebody broke a tackle, then they became a 20-yard gain. But they they specialized that era in some high percentage passes that, that got the ball down the field. Uh, Jamie Newman is the other 
the other big piece of this, he's the quarterback who was at Wake Forest. He's coming to Georgia as a grad transfer. What does his skill set bring that's maybe different than, than what Jake Fromm brought? This is another kind of thing where it, you look at – it's just like Todd Munkin, where you have in Jamie Newman a dual-threat quarterback who is different than what Georgia has ever had. Yet, when he comes to Georgia, do you say – is he going to put his imprint on Georgia's offense and change everything? Or is Georgia going to change him, or are they going to kind of meet in the middle? I think it'll be a little bit of a meet in the middle. When Everything I've heard about Newman, that's talking to people close to him, um, the buzz I've heard behind the scenes is that one of the reasons he wanted to come to Georgia, as opposed to an Oregon or a place like that, is that he wants to get himself ready for the NFL, and that means playing in a more classic pro-style offense. Then they bring in Todd Munkin, who doesn't seem to be this classic pro-style offensive coordinator, even though he's been except he was just an offensive coordinator in the pros, yes. exactly. Yes. And and yeah, I mean, the, and what's the definition of pro-style these days anyway? I mean, what what is it? You know, they're doing RPOs in the pros. They're they're doing three, four right. wide receivers in the pros. When, when um, we say when we say pro-style, I think what we mean is is two backs, a tight end, two receivers. Uh, you're going to line it up. There's a lead blocker usually, whether it's a fullback yeah. or an H back. Uh, you're going to huddle. You're that nobody does that anymore. So we, no. we probably need to come up with new terms. Yeah, it's 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 an antiquated term. I don't, but I don't know what the West Coast. Do we just go back to a West Coast offense? But the thing is, that's, that's not a very what specific Georgia thing too. Yeah, anybody does either. I mean, Georgia, you wouldn't recognize if if you went back to 2010. You wouldn't have looked at Georgia's offense in 2019 and recognized it. You would have thought that it was something out of like that. It was, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was something completely out of the future, which is what they stole what that Chip Kelly guy does in Oregon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what they were doing because Georgia, for all the man ball stuff, and I believe me, I was right there criticizing them for being too run heavy and jamming the ball up the middle when it didn't really seem to be there and when teams were stacking the box, but they were still going three, four wide a lot. Shock, they were a shotgun offense. I mean, you don't go under center anymore unless it's goal line or short yardage. Um, and they were doing RPOs and all this crazy stuff that back in 2010 would have been like, whoa, but it's what you do when the play is called. It's not the formations anymore. It's what you do when the play is called. And so for Georgia, that means are they airing it out more? Are they doing more exotic pass routes? And is Jamie Newman going to give them this dual threat that they haven't had? I, I think with Newman, to get back to, I guess, your original question about him, um, I, I don't know that you're going to see them calling runs for him all the time. I think, I think Kirby Smart's fascination with a dual threat quarterback, which, by the way, he's wanted for a while. He he saw what Deshaun Watson did to his Alabama defense. He signed he, he, Justin Fields. He did have he, one. He, I was going to say he did yeah, have one. He com he got a commitment from John Reese Plumley. He just couldn't hold on to him. They asked him to blue shirt, and he said, "No, I'm going to take this offer, and and I'm going to go play for Matt Luke at Ole Miss. Guess where Matt Luke is now." Um, but anyway, so he's wanted a dual threat. Kirby has. He's got one now, but I don't know if it's so much about you've got three different plays, pass, tailback run, quarterback run. I think it's more th this gives him an option when the pass play breaks down, when the coverage is good and there's no pass there. He's got a guy who can run. 
But I do think that when it comes to the RPOs, it's going to help too, that it's going to throw in another option for them too. Yeah, and I got the sense that Newman thought he probably ran a little bit too much at Wake Forest last year. Yes. I don't think yes. Georgia's going to ask him to do that much. That There's going to be a lot of who's going to have it. Is it going to be you or Zamir White? And you are you are taking a defender out of the play just by creating that moment of indecision. He doesn't always have to keep it. He does have to keep it every once in a while, but he doesn't probably have to take the pounding he had to take at Wake Forest would be my guess. Yeah, and I think something that also, not only do they have Zamir White still, but they've got James Cook, a guy who was underused the last couple years, but they they had trouble getting to him because they had DeAndre Swift and Brian Herring in addition to Zamir White. But they've got James Cook. They've got a five-star tailback coming in in Kendall Milton. There's still, you know, still some question about whether they're in the mix for Zachary Evans, maybe the best tailback Ken- prospect who has baggage. Um, Ken- so Kenny, Kenny McIntosh still there too. Yeah, Kenny McIntosh, who they like a lot. Um, so they're, they've got options there that may be better than trying to make Jamie Newman your leading rusher. I don't think that's going to happen. And I think Todd Munkin will remind you that he had a running back named Joseph Randall at Oklahoma State who did pretty well for him too. So it's it's not like Todd Munkin is bringing, like I said, not to be a broken record, but it's not like he's bringing the air raid to Athens. But the very fact that he's willing to come here, the very fact that Kirby was willing to hire him, the very fact that Jamie Newman was willing to come here and is going to be the starting quarterback means that change is definitely coming to Georgia's offense. It's just a matter of how much. Well, let's talk about some of the other changes and and maybe how they affect the offense, but also how they affect recruiting. Because Sam Pittman, one of their best recruiters, especially of offensive linemen, obviously that was his position group. He's now the head coach at Arkansas, Matt Luke, who was the head coach at Ole Miss, becomes the O-line coach. James Coley was the play caller last year. He was also their ace recruiter in South Florida. He's gone to Texas A&M now following the demotion. What changes in that dynamic? Well, it, it goes from it, it goes from being an offense that I think was James Coley was in charge of it, but you never knew really how much he was in charge of it with how much was being – kind of influenced by what Kirby wanted to an offense where Todd Munkin is the guy running the show. And I suspect that Kirby smart is more like, let's put it this way. You didn't really know what was happening on Sunday and Monday when they were setting up the game plan before, whether James Coley and Kirby smart, you know, whether Kirby was looking over Coley's shoulder as he made it to now, I think it'll be uh, Todd, what do you got for this week? And Todd says, here we got, and, Kirby says, okay, looks good. Probably more along those lines than than before. Well, and that's pretty similar to what went on at LSU this year, where Ed Orgeron, who now he was never a defensive play caller either, so he kind of let Dave Aranda do his thing too. But Steve Ensminger and Joe Brady were basically told, all right, go get it done. I will mm-hmm. you know, pop into a meeting every once in a while, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. Is, is Kirby Smart... You know, is he comfortable with that? Because that's hard for coaches I, sometimes. Yeah, I don't I don't know that he will completely divest himself that way. Not that Orgeron completely did, but he did a, a little bit. I, I think Kirby's still involved. I think he's still going to probably be in these meetings. But something that I've, I've understood about the dynamic at Georgia is that um, basically Kirby's in as many meetings as he can be. 
and I think he probably would still be involved in a lot of the offensive meetings. I don't know if he'd be like shut out of it, but um, the I, I think you go back to here. Here's what we know about when Coley got the job. When Coley got the job, he was promoted into it. So number one, he's inheriting a system. Number two, if he wanted the job, he wanted a promotion. So when Jim Cheney leaves, it was a Tuesday night. Right away, I heard James Coley was likely to be promoted. But for a couple days, Kirby kicked the tires on Dan Enos and Eddie Grant, maybe some other people before on Friday announcing James Coley as the choice. But James Coley didn't really have any leverage there if he wanted to change the system, if he wanted to bring in a new playbook. Um, he was promoted into a job, so he basically runs the same system. And I had people who were outside. I had one former player who was around during the Jim Chaney days who was watching Georgia games from afar last year said, I, I watch on Saturdays and it looks like it's just Jim Chaney's offense. doesn't look like anything's really changed. Maybe there's some terminology that's changed, but not much. Now Todd Munkin comes in and he had leverage from the outside. Um, I, I don't know that he had NFL offensive coordinator possibilities, but there were probably more than a few other college programs than Georgia that were willing to, you know, maybe boot their offensive coordinator aside to hire him. So Munkin had some leverage behind the scenes to say, okay, Kirby, I'll come, but I want to bring my offense with me. I want to do this. And Kirby then could say, that's great. I, I do want you to do these kind of things. Let's meet in the middle. And even if they meet in the middle, that's more than maybe James Coley had the ability to do. Now, I'm saying all this, and we're kind of crapping on Kirby Smart and his offensive philosophy. So as I'm hearing myself say all this, I want to be clear. Look, they what Georgia did with Kirby Smart as the head coach in 2017 and 2018 was very successful. So there's still a lot of question about what went wrong in 2019. And the fact of the matter is I think a lot of things figured into it. And now we have a very intriguing Georgia offense in 2020 because – Basically, everything is new. Well, and the, the other thing about it is we, we should both do this. They were 12-2 and two in 2019. Mm -hmm. They did fine. Yeah. They, they won the SEC East. They've won the SEC East three years in a row. They're doing just fine. Some things needed to change, especially with, with Jake Fromm going pro, and it does seem that they've been willing to address it. I, I think this bodes well for Georgia's future that, that Kirby Smart does seem flexible and willing to look at something different than what they've been doing. I, I think that's a positive sign. Yeah. I, I, keep, I keep having people tell me, oh, well, this means that Georgia's below Florida now. I'm like, no. I mean, I was at that game. They still seem fairly ahead, even with an offense that was not yeah. as functional as they would have liked. So I, until I yeah. see Florida beat them on the field, I'm not, I'm not going to get on that train. I, I mean, look, Georgia's still recruiting way ahead of Florida and everybody else in the SEC East. Um, I do think that Florida with Dan Mullen can, you, know, you don't have to be in a talent equal ability to beat Georgia every now and then, maybe win the East. Um, but it's still a wide talent gap right now. The other part of it is, and, and yeah, I had this on my timeline on Saturday when it was even after James Coley leaving, also the, the player personnel director, Marshall Matchow, who's been here with Kirby for four years, who's leaving for Texas A&M. I was getting the same thing that, you know, Georgia's falling apart, you know, Fromm left, Swift left, Andrew Thomas, you know, everything's – and it's like, look, there's a few people who are still here. One of them is Scott Sinclair, the strength and conditioning coordinator, 
who everyone wanted to know how Alabama kept churning through assistant coaches all those years. And Scott Cochran is how. Yeah. Yeah. Scott Cochran and Nick Saban remained. Constant going into year five. Scott Sinclair, strength and conditioning coordinator. He's lost a few of his staffers, but he's still there, and he's still really good. And Kirby Smart, who you can say what you want about stuff going on on offense, but that defense was pretty good last year. And he has shown an ability to replace these coaches with some pretty good hires. They they lost, by the way, their defensive coordinator, Mel Tucker, last year. He went to Colorado. And they turned around and under when he promoted Dan Lanning to the position, he ended up being a Broyles finalist because the defense ended up being third in the nation, I think. And maybe it was second in the nation in yards per play. But it was a great defense despite all this change. And... Kirby Smart was able to go get Matt Luke, which, you know, I mean, Luke was available, uh, but he was able to go do that. He found Dan Lanning when not many people knew who Dan Lanning was. You know, he he's he's still here. Scott Sinclair is still here. And he's got an administration which, unlike during the Mark Richt era, is giving him the money to compete financially when it comes to facilities and staff. So I don't I don't see Georgia falling apart at the seams by any means. The other thing is that there seems to be a coherent philosophy and you can say, oh, well, they're changing the offensive philosophy, but it seems to be tracking with what they've been wanting to do for a little while. and just haven't quite figured out how, which is you could say the same thing. That's what LSU did before this past season. They hadn't gotten it right. They knew what they wanted. They had an idea of what it looked like and they finally got to it. Maybe Georgia does that, but there definitely seems to be a coherent philosophy, which I think was the problem at the end of the Mark Richt era. There was not a coherent philosophy of what they wanted to be. Remember when they, they hired Jeremy Pruitt and they kind of went the half measure of let's be half Alabama. Well, you're either all the way in or all the way out on, on that deal. And I think now they've got a, a good cohesive overarching philosophy. It's just a matter of, will this tweak to the offense work? And we won't know that until we see it on the field. Yeah. And we could go on about, like how the Mark Richt era, the, the tail end of it with Pruitt, actually set up the Kirby era. But yeah, that that is exactly what's, since the start here, he has instilled a philosophy that is an overarching philosophy that continues. That part isn't changing either. They're, they've still got all these, they, they've still got the Alabama model. They've still got Kirby. They've still got so- Scott Sinclair. And, you know, when it comes to the offense, and, and Georgia fans were there were many who were apoplectic when Kirby wouldn't say anything about making changes to it after the SEC championship or in mid-December when I asked him an open-ended question about have you thought more about your offensive philosophy and changing it and whatever, and he he didn't say anything, he didn't commit to anything. I kept telling people, like, look, do you remember Mark Richt and Mike Bobo calling a press conference in the early 2010s to say that we're going to a no-huddle? that we're going to go you know, three or four wide 71% of the time now? No, they, they just did it. And do you remember Nick Saban doing that? Did he call a press conference and say, we're going to pass it all around? you remember Ed Orgeron saying that? I mean, if they did, I don't remember. They just did it. You do it by how you hire and fire and, and who you bring in. And he's doing that now. Kirby's doing that. And he's, he's doing what – now we have to see it happened on the field in 2020, and he actually, Kirby, has not faced questions since the hiring of Todd Munkin. 
or the bringing in Jamie Newman. So it'll be interesting to see what he does say about these guys. It's just been press releases and statements so far. But by his actions, he's showing that he has learned, that he has been chastened by what happened last season. Well, we will find out what happens. It's going to be a very interesting spring for you to cover, Seth. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Andy. All right. Seth Emerson. You can listen to Seth on Damn Good Podcast, which is a great name for a podcast, every week wherever you get podcasts. And I think our conversation may actually wind up on Damn Good Podcast, too, which is great because while I love the Andy Staples show, uh, we, we've had our talks about its name and what the initials spell. Damn good podcast is just a damn good podcast name. So I'm proud to be affiliated with it. I did not realize those were the initials. Thank you. Thank it you took me months, know. too. It took me months. But John Hayes, wow. my producer, knew it. <laughs> knew it all along. Seth, thank you. I will leave you with that, and you will never stop thinking about it. I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm thinking of the TASS, like the old TASS news agency, the Soviet Union. Oh, That's what we're thinking gr- of, right? That's even worse. Good Lord. I'd rather be ass than Tass. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Seth. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, one more thing. Uh, Next week, I will be back, I presume, with Jeff Schultz. And next week is signing day, if you don't know that. And that is Wednesday. Georgia has signed the vast majority of its signing class, but we're going to find out whether it holds on to Broderick Jones and Cedric Van Wren, two guys who were committed who did not sign. We're going to find out if they add anybody. Uh, Maybe the Zachary Evans saga will have an end. Maybe we will talk to Kirby Smart about the staff and maybe – or the recruiting class, but maybe that will also give us a chance to finally talk to him about the staff changes and Todd Munkin because we haven't. Even if we haven't, I will be back here next week. We're looking at Thursday morning after signing day to talk about everything that we learned and talk to you then and hope you enjoyed today's show. We just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face.